0: give us voice. Uh, In the Psalms, we see ourselves crying out to God. In other words, the Psalms express the cries of the heart, the anguish of our soul. Words that we can't even uh, articulate when we read the Psalms, they say what we feel. And so they articulate the cries of the heart and uh, the praises that we have as well. Now, when you look at uh, Psalm 4, uh, the thing that you would notice, first of all, is it comes after Psalm three. You know? <laughs> and there's a reason for it in this case. Uh, Psalm four picks up right where Psalm three leaves off. Okay. So what we have is that the background and the circumstances that we had in Psalm three are the same for Psalm uh, four. So the background is that Absalom, David's third son is seeking to overthrow his father's throne and where psalm 3 left off psalm 4 picks up psalm 3 we call a morning psalm psalm 4 we call an evening psalm 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 3 is a morning psalm because it takes place the morning after absalom uh, initiates a coup against the government. Psalm 4 is an evening psalm because it takes place the evening after the coup has occurred. Now, the coup has not been successful up until this point. Because when uh, David gets word, King David gets word that there's a coup and his son's going to try to overthrow uh, the regime, he has, he flees. He leaves Jerusalem and uh, he goes to uh, the Mount of Olives and he begins to pray and he asks God to intercede and get them through the night. And uh, they are successful. So even though we jumped ahead a little bit last week, the battle itself has not occurred uh, because David has fled. He hasn't been captured and Absalom is after him. Now you'll notice that there's a title above Psalm 4, what we call a superscription. And it gives us some insight. It says, To the Chief Musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Now what this tells us is because this psalm has been written after the fact. Would you agree with that? After the coup has failed, could be months later, could be a year later, David writes the psalm and now he's giving instructions. And so what this title tells me is that David has survived the coup. And he's written about it. He's given us his thoughts. He's given us his prayers that he was thinking the night after the truth took place. And he is now instructing his choir director. He says, I want this psalm to be put to music. And I want you to use stringed instruments when you do it. So those are the instructions that we get. Now, we're going to divide the psalm into three parts. In this case, this entire psalm is a conversation. Verse 1, it's a conversation between David and God. David addresses God. Okay. Verses 2 through 5, David addresses the people in conversation. And then in <coughs> verses 6 through 8, David goes back and he speaks to God again. So three parts. God, he speaks to God, speaks to the people, and he speaks back to God. So let's look at this first section. Let's look at David's urgent plea. Look at verse 1. Look what he says. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Now, when he says, hear me when I call, uh, this means that David expects a response. Hearing in the Bible uh, indicates that you're going to get an answer. So he's saying, hear me when I call and answer me. Now notice, David has a relationship, a personal relationship with God. He can speak to God one-on-one. We should all be able to speak to God one-on-one. And we should expect God to hear it. Now notice that phrase, my righteousness. You see that? Uh, it doesn't mean that God's righteous here. It means uh, speaks of, God, of David's righteous cause. Hear me o, uh, when I call, O God, of my righteous cause, my just cause. Uh, I'm in your will, God. I've uh, tried to do what you wanted me to do, and therefore I hope that you will answer it. It has that same uh, connotation that uh, uh, we have in the Star-Spangled Banner when Francis Scott Key uh, wrote, uh, Then conquer we must, uh, for our cause it is what? just. See, uh, and this be our motto. What? In God 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 do we trust. So we're in God's will. Uh, This is what Scott Key was saying. We're in God's will, and therefore, Lord, we can trust you to work out uh, the details, the outcome of this. Scenario. Well, this is what's happening with David. Uh, His third son's trying to overtake the government. David has a just cause. He has not offended God. He's trying to do what God wants. And he asks God to answer uh, his prayer. Now look what else he says there. This is the basis for that prayer in verse 1. You have relieved me. Now notice that's past tense. Do you see that? You have relieved me in my distress. So, David expects God to hear and answer this prayer because in times past, God answered David's prayer. Look what it says. God did. You relieved me in my distress. Now, that word distress is very interesting. It's like being, the word means to be hemmed in. It means to be between a rock and a hard place. Now, guess what? If you're between a rock and a hard place, guess what you are? You're constrained. And what do you need? You need breathing room. You need space. You need to be able to get out of that situation, that uh, scenario. And so David says, well, in the past, God, I was in some hard places, and guess what? You delivered me from that. So that's what he's asking for. That word, distress means constraint. Not, you know, just everything's like this. You can't function the way you want to function. Relief. Well, that's obvious what relief is. Right. Drop what was, it? What was it pop plop plop fizz fizz oh what a yeah you remember that See, now if I did that to my college students they would have no idea what I was talking about. because you would you need relief because you can't breathe properly because of indigestion you need alpha cells right and uh, if you don't take that you would say well how do you spell relief r o L-A-I-D-S. That's how you spell relief. Now, why do you need relief? Because you're not breathing real well. So you need to take a tongue. You need to take a roll-aid. You need to... <laughs> oh, this up. So what am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so David has been in a hard place. It's been a rock between a rock and a hard place in the past, and God's given him the relief. Can you think of a time when David was in a hard place? Goliath? How about... <laughs> Uh, can you think of the time when he was uh, facing King Saul who wanted to kill him? And each time God delivered David. Now based on God's past deliverance, David feels he can come to God now and ask God to answer and he expects an answer. God's not going to intervene and answer uh, your prayers six times and then on the seventh abandon you. And sometimes that's what we think. Now remember, he thinks his cause is just. You need to be in God's will if you expect an answer. And David does expect an answer. So then we'll look what he says <coughs> at the end of verse 1. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So two things. Number one, have mercy. And number two, hear my prayer or answer my prayer so uh, it's not enough just to pour your heart out to the Lord uh, you need to expect him to come to your aid and uh, when no one else will and here's the amazing thing uh, when no one else is listening to David his people aren't even listening to him his people are abandoning him he expects God to stand with him he expects God to hear his prayer okay so that's David's conversation with God now let's look at the part part two his conversation to the people. Now look what he says in verse 2. He has two questions. Question number one. How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? Now, when I have read the commentaries, this is very interesting, and I'm going to get into just a little detail, but I think it's, it's one that's worth mentioning. Some commentators are saying, "Well, who's asking the questions?" And most say, "Well, David's asking the questions." Some commentators say it's God who's asking these questions. God, David has prayed. Now God has looked down upon the people and says, "Well, how long? Look at this. How long will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you uh, uh, speak against my reputation?" In a sense. So you need to realize that there's two possibilities. It could be God speaking to the people or it could be David speaking to the people. I'm going to go with David. Okay. Now when we say David's the speaker, who's he speaking to? Is he speaking to his enemies or is he speaking to his supporters? Now, see this is why this is a very vague. It's very difficult to determine this. Okay? Uh, maybe it's vague for a reason. I don't know. But... Uh, it's either his supporters, who are about to abandon him, they're looking around and say, Boy, all the numbers are for Absalom! I don't know whether we can trust David or not. And guess what? His own supporters are turning, are turning against his reputation. they trusted him in the past. and he taken care of them in the past? So it could be that, or he could be talking about his, his enemies, Absalom, who has uh, been faithless. And uh, anyway... Either way, David's losing support. That's the important thing. So here it is. How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? Will you tarnish my name? Okay? And then he says, question two, how long will you love worthlessness? (coughs) Uh, If this is his enemies, these are his enemies that are saying, oh boy, if we could just take over. We just need to get in there and take over this government. But David calls it worthlessness. It's worthless because it's not going to happen. Uh, They're putting all their efforts in this cause to overthrow the government, and guess what? It's all going to come to naught. How long are they going to do this? The pastor's talking about Ecclesiastes. How long would Solomon trying to find meaning and pleasure in wine, in women. I mean, it wasn't been satisfied. Why does he keep doing it? How long is it going to take for him to realize, hey, it's all empty now. That's what David's saying. These people are trying to overthrow the government. David knows that God says it's not going to happen. Why are they putting their efforts in him? Why are you ch- chasing a rainbow? You think there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow? Can you ever find the end of the rainbow? Can you ever step to the end of the rainbow and find that particle? How long will you chase that? You people are chasing all kinds of things. And they're just wasting their time. And so David <coughs> says that. Now, if David's talking to his enemies, guess what? He didn't come up to him and say, hey, uh, how long are you going to be fighting me? He wouldn't Because guess what? He wasn't where his enemies were. Would you agree with that? So where is he saying these questions? singing to his enemies? Huh? I mean, they're not there. They're not hearing him, are they? You think he said, All of my enemies! How long are you going to do this? No, if he's talking to his enemies, guess what? He's just thinking it. Say so your kid does something good. Well, how long are you going to be in a state of rebellion? Uh-huh. They're not even in the room, but you're talking to them. <laughs> no. uh, so i don't know if he's talking to if he's talking to his enemies they're not there so he's he's talking to someone who's not there he's thinking these things out loud maybe and if it's his friends he may be talking to them he may have them gathered together but anyway that's what he's asking how long how long and the third in verse 2 he says how long will you seek falsehood how long will you seek a delusion how long will you follow a lie Uh, absalom has fed them a lie and uh and many people were following Absalom and as a result, they're, they're sinning. So, how long will you do that? Well, you know how long they do it? They do it until they're defeated. That's how long they do it. Some people never learn a lesson. The only way they learn a lesson is to be defeated. How long did uh, the Jewish leaders pursue Jesus when he started his ministry? Did he ever give up? They said, we'll, we'll get rid of this guy. He's a false messiah. Because that was a lie. They're following a lie. They're following, we'll, we'll kill him. Well, that was an empty effort, wasn't it? Because three days later, what happened? You see? But they did it anyway. So yeah. this audience here uh, is doing three things. They're tarnishing his reputation. They are pursuing an empty cause, and they're following a lie. Look at verse 3. Now those are three questions that they need to answer. Look what he says in verse 3. But no. Look at that. But no. Now here's a contrast. While you think on those three questions, you need to know something. While you're thinking on those three questions, there are certain facts you need to know and you need to consider. Okay? Now here it is. But No. That the Lord has set apart for Himself He who is godly. That's King David. You need to realize this in your pursuit against me and the government. How long are you going to do it? How long are you going to pursue this worthless cause? How long will you follow the line as you consider that, you need to know something. Before you answer those three questions, you need to know something. God has set apart whom? For himself, him who is godly. In this case, it's pointing to King David. King David is God has set apart King David. When did he do it? When he anointed him. He anointed King David. David's a man after his own heart, and God has set and protected to set David apart and uh, sanctified David, and God's going to protect David. See, that's what we do. We set apart. We set apart's the phrase. God has set apart for Himself, Him who is God. God sets apart those people who are precious to Him. That's what you do. When do you set things apart? when do you remove things from over here and put them over here when do you separate certain things from that um will you separate things that are precious to you you don't have your silverware in with the rest of your knives and forks in a drawer somewhere why well i set those apart why well because that's that's sterling silver Uh, you set apart your jewelry from the junk that's in the junk drawer, don't you? You don't say, hey, everybody is in the junk drawer, don't they? I guess everybody is in the junk drawer. You don't say, hey, don't get my diamond earrings. Well, where are they? Oh, they're in the junk drawer. No, you set those apart. Why do you set those apart? Because they are special. God has set godly David apart for himself. See, for himself for himself. See? And look at the end of verse 3. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Okay, how about that? See, that's why every... That's why you might as well just give up this worthless pursuit because I've got God here. Uh, God has set me apart. I am his king. I am his earthly representative. You are fighting a worthless cause. You are going to be defeated in this battle. How long are you going to continue to do this? See, So David knows at the end of verse 3 that God will hear. Notice at the beginning of verse 1 he says, Hear me. But notice what he says at the end of verse 3. God will hear me. So he knows he's going to get God's answer. And so when no one else will listen to David, even his own people, they're abandoning him. Guess who is listening to David? God is listening to David. Now that's what we should know. But know, verse 3. That's what we should know. Now look at verse 4. Here's what we should do. Verse 3, what we should know. Verse 4, what we should do. Here it is. Be angry and do not sin you ever heard that verse before read that verse before? that's found over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 the Apostle Paul quotes this for a reason a better translation is tremble and sin not now if he's speaking to his enemies guess what he's saying God's gonna hear me but here's what you better do you better shake in your boots You better tremble. Don't go down this path. You'll be sinning. See, that's what he's saying. And once you understand that, it makes sense. And we don't see much trembling anymore, do we? Even amongst Christians. We don't see much fear anymore, even amongst Christians. Tremble and sin not. We want to reverse that. We want to say, sin and tremble not. And that's what Absalom was doing. Absalom was sinning, but he was not trembling. And David says, hey, you need to tremble. The uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. You know our Hebrew Bible was not only translated into English. At one time it was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And that verse, verse 4 in the Greek, doesn't read, Be angry and sin not. Doesn't even read, tremble and sin not. It reads, Stand in all. In all of who? In all of God. Sin not. So, if these are David's friends that he's talking to, and they're going to abandon him, he's saying, hey, better not do that. You'll be sinning if you abandon me. God's on my side. You ought to tremble. If he's speaking to his enemies, he's saying, hey, you need to tremble. You need to tremble because God is on my side. So anyway, now look what else we're to do. Not only to Tremble and sin not. But number two in verse four. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Look at that. Meditate within your heart. Where? On your bed. And keep your mouth shut so Be still. Now, why is he telling them to do this? Because he's asked them to answer three questions. How long are you going to keep pursuing this thing? See? How long are you going to tarnish my reputation? How long are you going to follow the law? How long? In light of the fact that God's on my side. And your pause is... Uh, <coughs> useless, that your cause is going to fail. Uh, in order to answer that question, here's what I'm telling you to do. Meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. Now, the bed's not only a place to sleep. Guess what a bed's for? A place to meditate. It's a place to contemplate, to consider your plans and your actions. So David is saying, before you continue on with your plans, you better you better sleep on this thing. You ever tell somebody to sleep on it? Hey, they want to make a rash decision. You say, hey, I think you ought to sleep on that. And it's always a good good piece of advice to tell somebody to sleep on it. And that's what David is saying. You better sleep on this thing before you make an irrational uh, decision. So, and each person should be taking this heart, and notice it's done inward it's an inward thing meditate within your heart See? on your bed and be still think of a, the course that you're about to take and the consequences <clears throat> now why is why is David telling them to meditate within their heart and do this uh, privately in their own bedroom notice that that's a private thing to do each individual privately should Why why doesn't he say, hey, here's what you ought to do. I've got three questions for you. You ought to all get together and have a brainstorming session. Come to a conclusion what you should do. Is that what he tells them? No, he tells each one of them, hey, get off by yourself. Lay your head on your pillow and think about whether you want to be part of this coup or not. Because each one of us is responsible for our choices. We shouldn't let other people do our thinking for us. Huh? do our talking for us. If someone is pressuring you to take an action, I don't care what it is, whether it's getting a bad business deal, whether it's to do something that's illegal, whether it's to do something that's unethical, and everybody's doing it, come join us. Hey, we could really make a killing on this. First of all, if you're a man, you should ask your wife. She'll tell you immediately what you should do. And then if you don't uh, accept her, you should listen to David. He said you should sleep on this one. You need to be thinking about that. Each one of us individually. So that's the second thing we're going to do. First of all, we should tremble and not sin. Second of all, we should meditate on it. And then look at the next thing you need to do in verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. So you should make a sacrifice of righteousness. And put your trust in. the Lord now it's very interesting he's talking to Jewish people you can make a sacrifice that's not a righteous sacrifice did you know that? notice he says make a sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord you can make a sacrifice for the wrong reasons now Cain offered a sacrifice along with Abel. now I want you to get your theology out of here for a second just stick with scripture Cain offered a sacrifice do you know why Genesis says that his sacrifice was rejected because it wasn't offered in faith now notice what he says make a sacrifice of righteousness and put your faith in the Lord see his wasn't accepted because he wasn't trusting in the Lord Now we know, theologically, he didn't offer the sacrifice that God wanted. He offered a sacrifice from his field, didn't he? He did it his way rather than God's way. That's why it wasn't a sacrifice of righteousness. And he didn't trust the Lord when he did it. Now, from last week, you you won't remember this. But I am going to tell you this. I want to read something to you. When Absalom sent for Ahithophel, remember who he was? David's chief advisor? You know what Ahithophel was doing? Listen. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, David's counselor, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong. Now look at this. Ahithophel was offering a sacrifice, wasn't he? Was it a sacrifice of righteousness? Was it a sacrifice that led him to put his faith in God? No, guess what he did. While he's offering the sacrifice, he joins up with Absalom. Absalom said, hey, we got a big army. We could overthrow David. And I'll tell you, if you don't come on my side and you stay with David, I'm going to overthrow you. Come on, we can't lose. We got an army of ten thousand people. David's already on the run. Trust me. So guess what? is offering a sacrifice. Where is he putting his trust? Not in the Lord. So, look what David says here. David says in verse 5, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. You cannot offer a sacrifice to God of righteousness and at the same time be plotting to overthrow of God's government. And that's the same thing with the church, by the way. Now we come to the start section. David again speaks to God. Okay? And uh, David is going to tell God about the people's discouragement. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, God, there are many who say, who will show us any good? I think these are David's supporters. And they're discouraged because of the circumstances. And the odds are stacked against them. They said, man, who's going to show us any favor in this situation? If uh, we stick with David, we're going to be slaughtered. Absalom's not going to show us any good. He's not going to show us any favor. Uh, they're thinking of bolting. you see. They're thinking of abandoning the ship. And uh, they're discouraged. So David says to God, he says, "There are many who say, notice they're saying this, they're talking about this amongst themselves. Who's going to show us any good? Now, where should they be looking? They're looking, they're looking out here for the solution to their problem. Hey, we're being invited, we're being invaded. Uh, what's going to be the outcome of all this? Who's going to, who's going to help us with this situation? Uh, maybe they're looking to their allies, you know." Neighboring countries. Maybe if we could just get 10,000 people from over here, from the Hittites, or from over here, maybe we could join up with them and we could <laughs> win this thing. But notice they're looking in the wrong places. Or if we just get more weapons, or does see? But they're looking in the wrong places, and as a result, they're discouraged, okay? Because they're looking through the eyes of the flesh. of the eyes of faith. They're looking at the circumstances and the solutions through the eyes of the flesh. If only we could get more, if only we could, if only we could, that's looking through the eyes of the flesh instead of the eyes of faith. And uh, we do the same thing. We get ourselves, we, it doesn't matter whether we get ourselves into a mess or whether there's just a mess around us, and we say, how can I get out of this? If I could only, if I could do this that's looking through the eyes of flesh guess you shouldn't be looking out here guess where you should be looking you should be looking up there where's David looking is David looking for make a peace treaty with another country over here so they can send their men over here and fight the war with him he's not looking for answers out here he's looking for answers up there but not his people they're very discouraged and so he tells God about it and oftentimes we do the same thing I want to tell you something When you are between a rock and a hard place, don't try to just use human wisdom like Solomon. But point up to God and say, God, hear me. You've got me through difficult times in the past. You haven't done that to abandon me now. I'm trusting you. So David is telling God about how discouraged his people are. So then he says this. Look in the middle of verse 6. He says, Lord... Lift up the light of your countenance upon us. In other words, Lord, you show us favor. Uh, I'm not looking for solutions out here. I'm looking for you to show us good, for you to show us favor. I, I think this is why David's called a man after God's own mind. He made a lot of mistakes in his life. And he fell into sin, but guess what? He was smart enough when he got into those situations whether they were his own making for someone else, if he was smart enough to look up. And that's a lesson that we all need to learn. Now look what he says in verse 7 to God. You have put gladness in my heart. What's this? What's this? Hey, you're on the run from a coup. Your own son's trying to kill you. Is this the most amazing statement? He says, God, you put gladness in my heart. Well, how much more gladness? More than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Remember, Lord, when we had that bumper year? Remember when we had that harvest that was, yeah, we couldn't believe how the harvest was. And we had this tremendous celebration and everybody was happy. Remember, that was the best year we ever had. gladness in my heart than when we had that bumper year. And yet he's facing the worst possible circumstances okay. Now that's an amazing statement to me. How David can say that God has given him this joy and this gladness more than the joy that the whole nation had when the bumper crop came in. And this shows us something that for people of faith, joy can coexist with hardship. Uh, When we face hardship, that doesn't mean we don't have gladness and we don't have joy. I'll tell you when we don't have gladness and joy is when we get our eyes off of God and we start getting our eyes on the surface. Because God, for God to work out the situation is is minor. But we just can't amazing thing. Now look at the result. Look what David says to God. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Now, this is how I'm going to read. Hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'll both lie down in peace and I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, this evening, Psalm, he says, guess what, God? He said, I've talked to you. I'll put the situation in your hands. Well, guess what? <clears throat> uh, it looks like it's bedtime. I, I think I want to Lie down in peace, Wait, is the war raging here. I'm going to lie down in peace, not going to get concerned about this, and I'm going to sleep like a baby. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And uh, when he talks about peace there, peace and safety are uh, go together. So when he says, I'm going to lie down in peace, he says, I'm going to lie down and I'm going to sleep. I'm not going to worry about this situation. I'm going to trust you to take care of it and get me through this second night through the second night of the coup. Now, very interestingly, verse 7 talks about food, doesn't it? grain and wine. You see that? Food. In verse 8, he deals with his foes. These foes. Now, you can't do anything about either one of them. You can plant your crops, but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a harvest. Isn't that right? Uh, guess who you have to trust to bring in the harvest? God. Because if he decides to withhold the rain, you're in trouble. And guess what? You can't do anything about your foes. They have 10,000 men. you got got 1,000. What can you do? So guess what? You trust you put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. So he says, I will lie down in peace and I will sleep. Why are you going to do that, David? Here it is. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me well safe. I'm putting my total trust in you. Therefore, I'm going to put my head down <laughs> on my pillow tonight and I trust you to get me through it. Sounds sort of like the Children's prayer, that's now I lay me down to sleep. <clears throat> I pray the Lord my soul will keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take. But guess what, Lord? I can't do anything. I need a night's sleep. So he just lies down and he and he goes to sleep. Remember the uh old television show, The Waltons? It's a great it was a great show, and Everybody loved it. But you know, every episode ended the same way. The camera pulled back, it's night and you see the Walton home, and you usually see a couple lights on in the windows, two different windows, or three different windows. And the first window, Mary Ellen says, Good night, Grandma. And Grandma says, Good night, and the light goes off. And the next window, next scene, is Mary Ellen says, Good night, Mommy and Daddy. They say, Good night. The light goes off. Good night, John boy. And finally, the last light goes off. Yeah. Yeah. Each time they say good night, you ever wonder why we say good night? You ever wonder why we ever, where that term ever came into being, where we say to each other good night? The only thing that can make it good, in fact, that word good, the English word good, you know where it comes from, don't you? It comes from God. And the only reason a night is good, that makes it good, is because we know that God's in charge and He's going to protect us. You can't protect your house tonight. You can have six guns in the house. You can have a fire alarm. You can have a dog. And your husband husband can be a doctor, and you can have a heart attack and die in bed right next to him. You can't protect yourself. It's only a good night when you put your head on the pillow and you say, "Lord, I'm going to sleep." Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my, pray to you that my soul will keep, and you trust God for the night. Hey, Psalm 4 is God's sleeping pill. I'll give you a sleeping pill. I'm going to write you a prescription today. that. Psalm 4. <laughs> we should never, ever, ever sit up at night in fear, because we know that God rules both day and night. So there's nothing to fear for those who are trusting in the Lord, those who are righteous, those who are in God's will, clear, clear conscience. You can put your head down at night on your pillow and trust God to see you He said, Well, you don't know my circumstances. But the worst His own son trying to kill him. <laughs> and Harvey having him on the road. If David can do it, so can we. If Jesus can do it, so can we. God will take care of us. So care of him. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you for this psalm, evening psalm. May we read these psalms in the weeks ahead. And may we. Occasionally read Psalm 3, a morning psalm. And be able to thank you for the night before and how you've taken care of us and protected us. And then Lord, may we read this evening psalm and look forward to the, the next hours when we lay our head down and trust you for that night as well. May we realize that you've taken care of us in the past and you haven't done that to abandon us in the future. Help us, Lord, to be... People after your own heart not perfect but people we trust you Lord you're the one that saved us you're the one that set us apart your purposes we are precious to you you call us precious to and we know Lord that you help us to learn these lessons today